0: After I told my priest that I was thinking about seminary, he put me in the altar. He thought this would be good experience if I was considering the priesthood. It so happened that I was helping my priest at the Agape Vespers when he noticed that one of the young teenagers wasn't acting appropriately for church. Since he couldn't leave the altar, he quickly called me to himself and said, See that person over there? Please tell them how to act appropriately. He then motioned to a young teenager sitting in the front pew. It was clear what the problem was. I'll spare you the details so as not to embarrass anyone. But, like a lot of people, I was weary of confrontation. After all, the person wasn't bothering me. Plus, I didn't want to cause a scene or create any hard feelings between me and the parents. The best-case scenario, I figured was that the young person would probably be embarrassed by being called out in front of the entire congregation. The worst case scenario? We could have a complete meltdown on our hands. In the end, I spoke to that young teenager, who quickly corrected their behavior, and that was that. Despite my dread, I had kissed the priest's hand and accepted his blessing when I had asked to serve, so I was under his authority willingly. It was up to me to carry out the instructions he had given me. As Christians, we're all under authority, that of Christ, who is revealed to us through Scripture. We willingly died to ourselves and put on Christ in our baptisms, and so we are in his house. Jesus is our Lord. To lead, we have an obligation to be loyal. To the one in whose house we dwell. The bottom line? The third step in being a Christian servant leader is to lead as one under authority. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome to the Way. I'm your host, Father Dustin Lyon. These past two weeks, we've been looking at servant leadership, or thulos leadership, if you want to use the Greek word for a servant. As Christians, we're all called to lead by the example of Christ, and the example he gives us is a servant washing his disciples' feet. The Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative has given us some steps to help us become more Christ-like in the way that we lead. As before, I'll put a link in the notes below so you can check out their work. I highly encourage you to do so. You recall that the first step that they gave us is to learn our Bible. If we don't read our Bible, how can we know what God is asking of us? After all, it's the instruction book for life. The second step, which we talked about last week, is that once we've become biblically literate and we know our Bible, we have to cultivate a watchfulness of our conduct and motivations. Do they match the example given to us by Scripture? Are we living out what we've read, putting into action what we've been taught? If not, what do we need to do to change our lives? What do we need to do to lead like the example we see in Christ. The third step is the one we're going to talk about today, and that's learning to lead as one under authority. As Christians, we're under the authority of Christ and the instruction, or dare I say, obligation, to walk the way, as given to us by Scripture. It's how God has revealed Himself. Think about it. As Orthodox Christians in the liturgy, At the little entrance, we bring out the gospel, we hold it up, and we sing, Come, let us bow down and worship before Christ. Because it's through the gospel that Christ is revealed to us, and then in the Eucharist. Yes, we've been freed from sin and evil. Yes, when Christ trampled down death by death, we were redeemed from slavery to death. But as one of my professors used to say, this doesn't mean we're free to do as we wish. Our freedom from sin and death means that we've been liberated from one master so that we can serve another, Jesus Christ. This is why we call him Lord. Even St. Paul begins his letters by reminding his readers that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, our modern translations don't do Paul justice. Oftentimes, when Paul says he is a slave, we translate it as servant. But we don't get the full effect. Paul is literally believes he is now a slave of Jesus Christ to carry out the mission given to him by Christ himself. This is an argument he makes. He's not just anybody, but he is one who is called by Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he has a duty to do that. So if Paul is a slave of our Lord, then how much more are we? The difference between serving death and Christ is that Christ is merciful and gives us life. His proclamation is good news, the good tidings, the gospel. But Paul wasn't the only one under authority in Scripture. Even the prophets, with their glorious prophecies, were under authority. Instead of saying what they wanted, they were obligated to say the words put into their mouths by God. So here I want to go through the three main prophets, the major prophets that we think of, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and see how they had to prophesy under the authority of God. In other words, they had to lead as one under authority. So here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 6. In that year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. Only once Isaiah was cleansed does God ask for someone to go to the people. Isaiah volunteers, but he's not allowed to say what he wants. God says, go and say this to the people. Isaiah can only repeat what he's been told. And it's the same for us as Christians. We have been baptized, cleansed, just like Isaiah was. And now that we're cleansed, God asks us to go out and preach to all the nations. We have the obligation to lead as one under the authority of God. And when we do that, we speak not with our power and authority, but with God's. And that's even more important. Now let's turn to uh, Jeremiah. This is in the very first chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So you see there, Jeremiah had been called by God. And he was hesitant at first. He didn't want to do it. But when he accepted it, he too was not allowed to say what he wanted. He could only repeat the words that the Lord had put into his mouth. He was one under authority. And because of that, he didn't speak with his authority, but with God's. And this is what servant leadership is all about. This is what it means to lead as one under authority. Now let's check out the other great prophet that most of us think about when we think of prophecy. And this is Ezekiel. So here I'm turning to the first few chapters of Ezekiel. So in the first chapter, Ezekiel sees this throne of God. He sees God uh, on this very scary-looking chariot with all the seraphim and many-eyed angels. And he's a little scared. But the idea is, is that God can go wherever. This is his throne. This chariot is his throne. And he can go wherever he wants to. Ezekiel finally gets commissioned in chapter 2. God said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. And then I'm going to skip ahead to chapter 3. God says, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, Mortal, eat the scroll that I give to you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. He said to me, Mortal, go to the house of Israel and speak my very words to them. So here, and I think this one's the most dramatic, is that God literally has Ezekiel eating his words so that he digests them. He has to chew on them. And then he can repeat what he's learned from God. You can think of it this way. Last week we talked about cultivating watchfulness. Here, the eating of the scroll is essentially God forcing Ezekiel to cultivate a watchfulness of what he had said. So that he can then turn around and speak with one as authority. But also speak as one under authority. Repeating what God had told him to say. And, of course, my favorite prophet, and one that most of us all know, and we know the story well, so I won't spend too much time on it, is the story of Jonah. Here's a prophet who God calls to go to Nineveh and tell them that they've been a sinful and rebellious people. And Jonah doesn't want to do this. He absolutely doesn't want to do this. In his mind, it's okay if the Ninevites get destroyed by God. He doesn't like them anyway. And so God says, I don't care. Go and tell them my words. Go and tell them that God is not happy with them. Jonah doesn't want to do this. He thinks he can run away. He doesn't want to be one under authority. He doesn't want to be a servant leader. And so he gets into a boat and tries to go away from God. He tries to run away from his responsibilities. And, of course, a great storm comes up and everyone else in the boat is trying to figure out why would the God send this storm to destroy us? And finally, you can almost imagine Jonah kind of raising his hand meekly in the back and says, well, I'm trying to run away from God because I don't want to do what he wants me to do. And, of course, the others say, well, We're going to throw you overboard. So they throw Jonah overboard. And of course, the storm goes away. But Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish. Sometimes we translate it as whale in English. uh, But the text says he gets swallowed by a big fish. And he's there for three days and three nights. Eventually the fish vomits him up. And Jonah does go and do, eventually, what God asks him to. He goes to Nineveh, and he tells them that God is not happy with them. And what happens? They repent. They repent, and Nineveh is not destroyed. This is the true sign of Jonah. Sometimes the New Testament talks about the sign of Jonah and we think about the three days in the tomb because Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. But the real sign of Jonah is the preaching that he gave to Nineveh, the preaching of mercy. And that mercy came because Jonah led as one under authority. He delivered the message that God had given to him. And so we too, as Christians, are also called to lead as one under authority. We have Scripture. We see the sort of example that Christ gives us. We see the example of the prophets. And we're called to lead under that same sort of authority with God backing us up. And I dare say that unless we take on our responsibility as Christians, we will never be fulfilled. We'll always be like Jonah, running away from what God has called us to be. And we won't be happy. The chaos around us will swallow us up, like the fish swallowed Jonah up. But when we face our responsibility, when we face the calling that God has given us, then we'll find fulfillment. Then we'll be able to lead, as God is showing us. So each of these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jonah, each of them was called to lead. But it wasn't haphazard. It was servant leadership leadership that was under the authority of the Word given to them by God. Remember, God's Word leads to life. It leads to blessings, as in the example of Jonah. Nineveh was able to repent and find salvation. The Israelites, or the Judeans, were able to find salvation through the words spoken to them by Isaiah, Ezekiel, or Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells us that there will be a new covenant, Isaiah shows us that it must be a suffering servant. Because they led as one under authority, we find salvation for ourselves. So, brothers and sisters, to go back to where we started, we are Christians who have been baptized. We have put on Christ, and now we call Jesus our Lord. It may sound harsh to us as Christians to talk about being a slave of Christ, We like the idea of being freed from sin and death. But as Americans, we're uncomfortable, perhaps, talking about ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. Yet, as we've seen, this is what servant leadership is about. It's about leading as one under the authority of a master. Our master happens to be Christ, the Son of God. And when we are under his authority, we speak with his authority. But this leadership isn't one of oppression. This leadership is a sign of Jonah, a sign of mercy that brings salvation to everyone. And that's what all Christians are called to be, servant leaders. Join me next week as we continue exploring what it means to be a servant leader. May God bless you.